Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Meguri Aviv Be'eretz Kena'an. This Shabbos we will enter into the final 13 chapters of the book of Genesis. The longest contiguous piece of text devoted to any one narrative, any one story. It is also, of course, a Shabbos of Hanukkah. And the light of Hanukkah is shining brightly even tonight, even the day before. So everything tonight is, is Hanukkah dick, we'd say. It's, it's all about licht. It's all about light. And what we're going to talk about is, is my story and your story and all of our stories. The Torah will now give us 13 of these chapters for one simple reason. Everything that the Torah wants to teach us, everything, is in the Joseph story. Everything that the entire 50 chapters of Genesis and by extension, Shmos, Exodus, Leviticus, all of these five books are now hinged on what will take place in the Joseph narrative. What happens to Joseph is vital. It's key. It's essential. So let's begin. The values that the Torah will set forth now are set in tension with their opposites. Of these, a couple will come to mind in the beginning of the story, and they are protest and silence, owning responsibility and running from it. Though silence is said to be golden, and our rabbis have taught that that wisdom's gate is silence. Silence is the safeguard of wisdom. The wisest of men, Shlomo Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, for those who are Ashkenazi challenged, that there is a time to be silent and there is a time to speak. Just as there is a time for passivity and restraint, so there is a time for activity and protest. Jacob, in the beginning of this week's portion, has an opportunity to speak and doesn't. We're told that after Joseph has been, uh, you know him, everybody, Joseph, the one who goes out and tells everybody about his dreams, tells his brothers, they get upset with him, and then he tells his brothers, and he tells his father, and his brothers were jealous of him. They envied him, the Aviv Shamar et Hadavar, Aviv Shamar et Hadavar. His father kept it in mind. He watched over it. He Shamar. He watched it. The other place in the Torah where Shmirah comes up is Hashomer Achi Anochi. Am I my brother's keeper? That rhetorical question that reverberates through the generations. The Aviv Shamar et Hadavar. And his father watched over the matter. Imagine for a moment now if Jacob had taken a different path. Imagine, if you will, if Jacob at that moment had said, well, let's see. Reuven, Judah, Yisachar, Zevulin, Asher, God, all of you. How old are you? Aren't you the older brothers? This is your youngest brother here, isn't it? Well, Benjamin and so on, but the youngest one. How funny is it for you to envy his adolescent dreams and his ambitions? You guys should have some self-respect. And envying a mere teenager won't hold water. What if Jacob had said something like that? 
What if Jacob had stepped into that stream of time and had chosen that moment to speak? But he didn't. The Aviv Shamar et Adavar, Jacob was silent. And the Torah's recording of his silence is a subtle, maybe not so subtle, rebuke to Jacob. I was sitting this week with a dear friend who, for all we know, is passing this weekend. She's been quite sick for a while. My heart goes out to her and her family now as she's preparing to leave this world. And as I sat by her bedside this past week, I really could feel the power of Solomon's words. There is a time for silence. There are times when silence is the only responsible response, the only available response, one that does the greatest good and the least amount of harm. That kind of silence is the silence that the psalmist speaks of when he says, God, to you silence is praise. Lecha dumiatihila. I got a whiff of that silence this week when a New York Times reporter called me and asked me to comment on something that was taking place in a sister community. Asked me what I thought about their practice or what they had done that seemed to this reporter slightly controversial. And in my naivete, I spoke to the reporter. <clears throat> and subsequently, of course, of course, about half of what I said was quoted, and the other half, which made light of the first half, was omitted. Unfortunately, Solomon's wisdom of Ace Lachashos, there is a time to be silent, was lost at that moment, and I regret it. I regret it. Jacob, I imagine, had the opposite feeling. Someone who had been so accustomed to running his whole life was from one place to another. He left his home 22 years on the road. His most intimate circle, his father-in-law, can't trust him. Finally, Jacob arrives. aviv. He settles into the land of Canaan where his ancestors lived, Vayeshev Yaakov, and Yaakov settles. Rashi, the great medieval exegete, Rashi says here, Vayeshev, why does it say that Jacob settled? It's a very strange locution. It sort of said that he lived there. Vayeshev, you can hear yeshiva, right? He sat down. Bikesh Yaakov Lasheves Bishalva, that Jacob wanted finally to be at rest. It's a long life. I'm tired. I just buried my most beloved wife. I need a rest, God. Kofat Salav Rogue Social Yosef. Immediately the Joseph narrative begins because Jacob, when there is injustice in the world, your rest takes a back seat. You, Jacob, if you are to be the patriarch of this family, must step forward. You must speak. Now is not the time for you to rest, say the rabbis. Now is the time for you to stand up. I got that feeling again this week when I sat in a movie theater on 84th Street to watch a movie produced by Gary Null called Seeds of Death about the, the GMOs. You know about the GMOs, the genetically modified organisms and, and the millions, if not billions of dollars that are spent every year to keep us in the dark about how it is that the food that we eat comes to our plates. 
how Monsanto buys Washington so that we can't even have labels that tell us if GMOs are in food. As consumers, we don't even know. We're silenced. There's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. And so the rebuke of the Torah comes to say to Jacob, you had your moment and it passed. We should feel the rebuke in our communities when we countenance with silence the hypocrisy of those who have the audacity the audacity to publicly criticize those who publicly criticize Israel. That strikes me as the greatest irony. I'm always called on the carpet. How can you speak out criticizing Israel? And almost always the criticisms are done publicly. And I say, well, wait a second. Shouldn't you have called me privately? Where is the logic? Of course, there is no logic. I picked up a book today by Rabbi Dr. Norman Lamb, who was the president of YU back in the day for many years, and he was before that the, pre- the chief rabbi, the rabbi, I should say, of the Jewish Center on 86th Street, a decidedly um, orthodox institution, lovely uh, place. And I was reading sermons from back in 1961, and here's a sermon that he gave. He gave a sermon in which he spoke about Jacob's silence. He inspired me today. And then at the end of it, he said, we shall not be silent even when it comes to criticizing Israel. For Ben-Gurion had decided to take his vacation in Burma at a Buddhist monastery. And he publicly chastised the prime minister of Israel for going to a Buddhist monastery and wondering out loud what kind of effect that would have on all of the young Jews who are so impressionable, who imagine that Ben-Gurion is their idol I I couldn't believe it. So it was okay to be critical of the Prime Minister of Israel for deciding instead of, let's say, going to Sweden or Switzerland to ski, he went instead to meditate and to do some yoga. But if somebody in the Jewish community dares to stand up and say, these policies of our beloved state fail to, to meet the standards of ethics and morality that we hold... That person is held in contempt. How dare you? Where's your loyalty? Where's your loyalty, Jacob? Where's your loyalty in being silent, Jacob, when the brothers were selling Joseph? The Torah tells us that when Jacob heard that his beloved son Joseph had been... He saw the bloody coat... Tarov Taraf Yosef Joseph has been, has been eaten by a beast. We are told that Jacob tears his garment and puts on a sackcloth. The first behavior is a critical part of Jewish mourning practices. He tears his coat. Everyone knows that that is a common mourning practice. But what is the sackcloth? Sackcloth has nothing to do with mourning. The Abar Renel says... And the Malbim also says that the sackcloth is always in the Torah a sign of tshuva, of repentance. Jacob felt guilty. Jacob felt he had missed an opportunity to help Joseph. He wore a sackcloth as a sign of remorse. He tore his garment to say, I've lost my son. And he wore a sackcloth to say, I could have done more. 
And so owning responsibility is the second piece of tonight. Mittens written in the middle of today, in, in the middle of the Parsha this week, we have the Joseph story and then chapter 38, which scholar Devorah Steinmetz in her book From Father to Son writes, is the turning point of the entire family narrative and it occurs at precisely this crucial moment. Chapter 38 interrupts the Joseph saga with Judah leaving the family, mirroring, of course, Joseph's descent into captivity. Moving to a different region, Judah now takes a wife, the daughter of a Canaanite woman. His choice confirms that he's now separate from his family, for he is now disobeying his own father's wishes. And Judah himself is a kind of self-imposed exile. And what happens next, if you've been in easy listening mode, now sit up. Because here is the moment that the entire book of Genesis is hinging upon. Judah marries a Canaanite woman and has three children, three boys. The first two of them die. And according to the custom of the land, something called a leverate marriage where each, right, where a woman who does not, who fails to have offspring through a brother, the responsibility of other brothers is, or of other members of the family is to marry that woman. And so Judah was meant to give his third and final son, Shelah, to Tamar, his daughter-in-law. Shelah's name itself, Shelah, means he belonged to her. And of course, Judah doesn't. Judah is afraid. As his father, foreshadowing his father, as his father Jacob will be afraid to let go of his final son, Benjamin, Judah now has to give up his son, and he doesn't. He holds on. And Tamar takes the law into her own hands. Dressing by the side of the road, she covers her eyes and her face. Judah does not recognize her, foreshadowing another motif of the book of Genesis, the inability to recognize our brothers and sisters. He can't see his own family. He sleeps with Tamar. She's impregnated. And when he finds out that his daughter-in-law is impregnated, not knowing that he had slept with his own daughter-in-law, thinking she was a prostitute, the Torah says that Judah proclaimed that she should die. At that moment, Tamar reproduces a number of articles that had been kept as collateral when Judah had slept with her. Upon seeing the evidence, Judah has a moment, and this is the moment of Genesis. He has a moment where he can say, wasn't me. He can deny it. He can figure out some way to get around it. He can figure out some way to blame it on someone else, just as Adam had blamed it on the other, right? It was her. She did it, not me. Judah's act of taking responsibility and ownership is the most important moment in the book of Genesis. It was Judah's capacity to admit, to be strong enough, to be transparent, that saves his family. Ultimately, transparency is a sign of strength, not weakness. So as bleak as this Parsha begins, in the middle of the Parsha, there's a moment of joy. There's a moment, a herald of what could be. Judah models for us what it is to be fully human. And in that, everybody, 
in the middle of this dark parsha of fratricide and enmity, there's a little jar of oil. In the middle of this parsha, there's a little moment of light. The light of Judah saying, she was right and I was wrong. The light of a strong human being who can admit and acknowledge and come up against the edge of what it is to not know when to speak and when to be silent. Who knows? Sometimes we speak and we destroy the world and sometimes we're silent and we destroy the world. And how do we know? We live our lives in that unknowing and we move forward and we hope that we have the strength that Judah had. That when confronted with our weaknesses, when confronted with our mistakes, that the relationships that we have built are strong enough to hold that. That's Hanukkah. That's Hanukkah. A holiday that comes at the end of the month when the moon is not visible, it's bleak, who knows. In the middle of Hanukkah, the only holiday in the calendar where the new moon renews herself in the middle of the holiday. We start in darkness and then in the middle of the holiday, five days in, there's the new moon. There's Judah shining forth. Tzadkamimeni. She was right. I was wrong. No more exile from the garden. Hashomer achianochi. I will be a shomer. I will watch out for my brothers and sisters. I will take responsibility. I will take ownership. I will live a life of not knowing, but trying my best to discern when can I speak and when should I be silent. There's one more moment of light, and with this we'll close. When Jacob hears that his beloved son, Joseph, has been taken, the Torah gives us an odd moment. It says that all of the brothers and sisters came to comfort Joseph, Jacob, but he refused to be comforted. Vayima'en Yaakov, and Jacob refused to be comforted. Jacob's refusal to be comforted was his refusal to give up hope on something that was still alive, and he knew it was alive. His refusal was an act of great intuition, humanity, and resistance. He refused to be comforted because he still believed that one day he would see Joseph. I also believe that. I believe in our power to speak, and I believe in our power to heal. I believe we can change reality, that, we, that what we do makes a difference, and I believe in miracles, don't you? May the one who blessed our ancestors and gave them the stubborn need to find light in a dark place, Bless us to find our jar of oil, our jar of hope, and, dis and against despair. Forgiveness against holding grudges and understanding and love against judgment and hatred. May we merit to also speak when appropriate and be silent when appropriate. And may all of us soon hear the words spoken after so many years of pain and longing. Od Yosef Chai, Joseph is still alive. Hope will live on forever. Let us say, Amen.